1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible,
0: budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com/acast. That's
2: greenlight.com/acast. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. I'm calling to talk about the importance of leisure time for me. I'm a high school English teacher. And this year is my fifth year of teaching. I don't know if you've heard, but there is a statistic that teachers tend to burn out by their fifth year. And my fifth year took place during a pandemic. Throughout this pandemic, my district has stuck to distance learning, which has meant that I've been teaching from home. And at first that seemed great, no commute, right? But as the year has progressed, the need to be able to separate work from leisure has grown to be ever more important. Self-care is an idea that gets thrown around a lot. Administration tells us to make sure we take care of ourselves so we can be present and ready to take care of our students. But that's easier said than done. There's just no way to fit all that needs to be done into the actual contracted work hours. In a normal year, many teachers inevitably take work home or spend more time on campus than they're getting paid for, And now that work and home are the same place, it's even harder to keep them separated. It has been more important this year than ever before to make sure that I recognize when to stop working and start relaxing. Understanding when it is okay to take time for myself has been the thing that is keeping me going this year. I've played a lot of Animal Crossing, listened to a lot more podcasts, and studied Harry Potter even more. So thank you for the role you've played in that for me. Thanks for listening, and have a good day.
3: I'm Casper Tekhile.
2: And I'm Vanessa Zoltan.
3: And this is The Real Question.
4: Casper, when I was a teacher, I would come home from school I'd be home by 3.30 and I would nap from 3.30 to 6.30, like crash, wake up, have dinner and then grade papers until 11. Oh, my gosh. And that was during not a pandemic.
3: And you lasted three years, right?
4: Yeah, I did not last five years. One semester of teaching middle school and I was like, this was all a mistake. How's it?
3: I feel like I hang out for an afternoon with a middle schooler and I'm like, oh, I'm done now. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) And Sabrina points to a really interesting dynamic of like being told that you have to be in charge of your, of your own leisure and being like, well, that's nice, but it's physically impossible. Like there are not enough hours in the day to do the work that you're giving me and also like somehow magically create my own bubble bath spa experience in my own home. It doesn't work like that. And that's what we're going to talk about today.
4: Yeah. So tell me, Casper, this shocks me zero that you're not someone who's great at relaxing. <laughs>
3: So what I want to bring you to, just as we start this conversation, Vanessa, is like one of the few moments, at least in my adult life, that I really remember feeling like, not just like, ah, chill, but like deep, deep relaxation. So I was in college and it was spring break. And usually my family and I would travel to our extended family in Holland over the summer. But this was a very special trip, I think because of my parents' wedding anniversary And so we went to Cuba and it was an incredible two week trip. And we ended up somewhere on this beach. And of course, it's a beach. I mean, I'm going to tell you a story about relaxation, but it wasn't just like a beautiful beach with like lounges and parasols and drinks being served to you. It was very remote. There was hardly anyone there. But the thing that I really remember is that the sandy beach was quite steep going into the water. So you could lie at an angle. And I did for many hours, where, like, the waves would just ripple up my body, my feet, my legs, my torso, and, like, sometimes would come up to my shoulders, but my head never got wet. And it was gorgeous sun. And I spent maybe six and a half hours just lying there. And it was just, it was just endless. Like, time stood still. Like, I saw the sun move across the sky. I had every thought that I could possibly think and then no more thoughts. Like it was just this like deep experience of calm and relaxation. And all I paid attention to was how nice the waves felt on the skin of my body. And I hold on to that memory because it's so unusual now. Of course, you know, I now have responsibilities in my work and in my marriage in a way that I, I didn't as a 19 year old. You know, my parents were still ultimately in charge of figuring out where we were sleeping that night and things like that. But it was also so rare to have that much time. And the way certainly that American life is structured and therefore my life is like, no, that's just not possible. (laughs) And so I want to stress that this isn't a question about time management for me, this question of leisure. Like, just like Sabrina was saying, like, oh, how do I fit in time for self-care within a busy day? But it's a bigger question for me about how does leisure exist? What is leisure? Is it just the absence of work? No, there's something else there that's just not working. So I want to get into that question of like, what is it? And then I guess to some extent, how can I get more of it? Because it was so nice and I just want to lie on a beach again with waves.
4: So Casper, I mean, I joke that you're a workaholic, but you're also someone who I admire a great deal for taking time. You're somebody who goes to a monastery for like a retreat every once in a while. And you're somebody who takes a Sabbath every week. So I'm surprised you're bringing this question because aren't you sort of like good at at relaxing? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a question I've thought a lot about because I've I've really tried to build in those structures of of a weekly rest and you know twice a year going to a monastery of of a couple days just away from everything and so I guess in that detail is also somewhat the answer because I feel like there's a difference between recovery of like okay it's been a busy week. I'm going to take 24 hours where I'm not looking at email. I'm not looking at social media, right? Which kind of gives you a moment to breathe and just like, ah, I finally read a chapter of a book rather than two pages before I wanted to tweet a quote from it. And even with the monastery, right? Like often when I'm there, I'm like, oh, I could, I could create this thing or I might write that thing. And like, there's so many ideas that I want to activate after a time of like breathing out, like just having a moment. So it feels different to me because it's really about my state of being rather than a lack of, you know, sitting behind a keyboard. I don't want to say it's quieting the voices in my head, but it, it it's dealing with that kind of drive of productivity that I feel somewhat captured by and unable to like, just say, thank you, productivity voice. I'm just going to sit you down while I lie down on the sand and just like forget that you exist yeah. for a moment or six and a half hours.
4: It sounds almost like a spiritual experience of Zen, yes. right? Of like, There were no more thoughts. I just was. Yes. Like the voice inside my head went quiet.
3: Yes. Okay. That's what you're describing. Exactly. And it was because usually, you know, I'm in the situation and I'm also thinking about the situation or I'm thinking about what's next or I'm thinking about you know very judgy thoughts about the world and other people and that's that's just how i live and by the way very judgy thoughts about myself which is always the worst voice of all but like maybe that's what it was is like i didn't hear my own inner critique about you haven't done this or you need to do that or why are you like this and not like that or look at that person or look at this situation couldn't it be cool if you did that and that voice is just like <laughs> constantly on. Yeah. And I want to thank that voice. I appreciate that voice very much because it has helped me do many things and it has been very productive in many ways. But like, if it's always there, which it is, I want to be very careful about using like addiction language beyond what I can fully say. But like, I definitely have overworked tendencies and, and that's true in my family as well. And looked at from a, from a generous angle, you can say, oh, People work very hard. And then looked from a critical angle, you can say, well, you never stop, which means that the people around you don't feel like they can stop, right? It's not just about my choices. It's about the way it impacts other people. I'm trying to connect with that sense of ease and that sense of lack of pushing that felt wonderful for me. And I think probably better for the people around me as well.
4: So what is at risk if you never have this again you haven't had more than a few moments of it in the last 15 years it sounds like and i'm not gonna lie i don't think i've had this in the last 15 years right but who cares right like i've taken days off and i've taken trips and i've seen beautiful things does it matter
3: i mean i think sabrina said it so well in the voicemail it's a well-known fact that most teachers don't last more than five years and that's so indicative of a broader culture of burnout of, of more and more people having to push further and further in a very short timeline in order just to be able to keep up with the expectations of a particular job, for example. So
4: you want to be able to rest so that you can work harder?
3: (laughs) Yes, good question. Well, no, because burnout isn't just about not being able to work. Like it's the body like shutting down in so many ways and people get very sick. It has bigger implications than not just being able to fulfill a, a job's responsibilities. So that's a significant part of it. Like I I don't want to end up in a situation where that's the case. But the broader thing that's at stake feels like is I want to live my life in line with what life is about. Like I I want to pay attention to the things that actually matter. And absolutely work and contributing matters, but it's not the whole picture. And so I don't want to look at the end of my life and be like you know, in that cliched way of like, oh, I missed that email. Uh, and and I, I don't honestly think I'm at risk of that right now. But it feels like this is a voice in my head that is not going to get quieter. And I need to find a different way to be in relationship with it. Like, I I need a I need a Zen voice or a beach voice that is at least as loud as the like, but you have to do lists.
4: OK, what text do you have for us?
3: So I love the West Wing. Me, too. And as I thought about work and leisure, I absolutely immediately thought of this show. So The West Wing, famously written by Aaron Sorkin, at least the first few seasons. And it's this idealized vision of American politics and American government. It follows the team supporting the president in the West Wing, in the West Wing office of the White House. And the first pilot episode came out in 1999 and it won three Emmys. So it started really strong and the central character who I want to spend some time with in this conversation is C.J. Craig, who is the press secretary for the president. Item number two. C.J. has the president. It's a light day, Chris. Let's just get through this and then I'll take a couple questions. And in this pilot, we meet her for the first time as she's on a treadmill at something like 5 a.m. next to some kind of like, you know, cocky hot guy. You know how there's different categories of hot. This is like D.C., khaki government official hot. And while the TVs are around them with the news, like, she's talking at him. Like, he's not... He didn't really sign up for this conversation. He's just running next to her.
2: You can have a normal life. You'd be amazed at how normal I can be. See, it's all about budgeting your time. This time, this hour, this is my time. 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. I can work out, as you see. I can think about personal matters. I can... Made an interesting man. (laughs) The trick is... Your beeper's going. What? I think your beeper's going. And the
3: reason I picked this text is because, honestly, this is like my current approach, which is like, oh, you want meaning and relaxation? Great. Let me schedule that. You have a Sabbath day. You have twice a year. You go to the monastery, like bish, bash, bosh, structure (laughs) here, put that place there. You know, like I'm in charge. I can make it happen. It's all about how you design your time. And this is my relaxation feel at leisure time.
4: (laughs) Bish, bash, (laughs) bosh, relaxed.
3: (laughs) Exactly. And like, there's so much in the text that does the work for us. Like, first of all, it's not her time because her beeper goes off. So, like, already that's a fallacy. Secondly, the way she is structuring her life, it's kind of an imposition on everyone around her. Like, we learn more about her relationship with her father, who's not doing well later in the show. And, and, you know, she struggles with the fact that she's away from him. But I wanted to point to the fact that, like, yes, she's doing something that works for her, kind of, but it has impacts on other people. And then finally, like, in my self-important moments, I'm like, I am doing important work. And like, this is just a period of like really going at it. My 30s are my throwdown decade, you know? And like, I can imagine that CJ Craig is like, you know, I work in the White House. Like, I don't get to have leisure. This is part of the job. But here's the big reveal. I don't work in the White House. <laughs> and so my job is not that important. And like what I make or don't make doesn't really matter that much. And so I guess I'm I'm pointing to the fact that this scene feels a bit like a mirror, of what it is like now, rather than some sort of like idealized future. But it, it, it felt like it really encapsulated the voice in my head, if not the reality of my actual life.
4: So my first question is something you said in like an offhanded way. I would argue that your work matters a lot, that you are like part of fighting for a cultural shift, for people to be more spiritually engaged in an authentic way. And sure, like you're not a surgeon and no one dies if you don't show up to work one day. But like, why did you need to undermine yourself Mm. to get to justify resting? I just like wonder if part of leisure is like this search for peace and being at Mm. peace, that like what you have accomplished is enough and what you're doing matters. And like, I'm not saying so find leisure in the work because I also want you to rest. But like, yeah, your work matters. Is that a leisureful thought?
3: Yeah, you just said the word and I was like, oh, that's what it's about because it's about enough. I'm like, okay, like, yes, the voice is always like, oh, but there's more to be done. And like, it's great that you did that. But like, what about all of this that needs doing? And so I keep thinking about leisure as something that's a reward a little bit, which again, intellectually, I know doesn't make sense, but it, that's how it feels. Like that's what the voice in my head is like, yes, but you can do more. And, and again, I don't want to hate on that voice because I, I kind of like it. Really? <laughs> like I do like that sense of, of ambition and and, and vision, but it, I don't think it's ever going to end. That's what I'm starting to realize. Like, I have achieved things that I would have thought 10 years ago if I do that. Like, oh, if I write a book or like appear in the New York Times, then A, B and C will happen. It's like, hey, buddy, you did it. And and you're still feeling that voice. So like, even if I achieve all the things that I wish for the world and myself, I don't think that voice is going anywhere.
4: So I would say two things to that. Like, you've written a book, you know, you've done the things. I think that if you died at 70 or 80 or 90, what you've accomplished is incredible. And you've accomplished enough to be so proud of, even if you don't accomplish anything else for the rest of your life, Mm. like you've already done enough and it wouldn't have mattered if you had done less, but we, we don't have to talk about that. You and I are ambitious people, but I think you've been successful enough for a whole lifetime. Also, It doesn't matter what you do because we're all just drops in a bucket. Right. So like you are enough and none of us are enough. And how does that make you feel?
3: (laughs) (laughs) The thing I really resonate with is that that feeling of, yes, you are the center of the universe and you are just dust, right? Like, th- I love that story that you told me years ago about Jewish tradition. If you have two pieces of paper, one in your right pocket that says, you know, you are the center of the universe. Everything here is made for you. And then in the other piece of paper you have, right, it's you are dust into dust, you will return. Yeah. And we have to carry both of those truths with us at the same time. And th- and that is one of the joys and complications of being human. I guess the thing that feels interesting to me about why that memory of the beach came back so strongly was that I have had many other wonderful experiences of kind of melting into the world around me and feeling like, ah, what a relief that I don't have to make it all happen or something. And I can just feel like fully small. Like I love that image of like just a grain of sand on the beach or, or just a star in this vast universe. And you can let, let go. It doesn't have to be all yours to do. But the, the feeling I felt in Cuba <laughs> was was actually a fullness of self, but it was a fullness that was at ease. Like I wasn't disappearing in my experience. Like I was just like fully me, and I did, but I didn't have to do anything. Your reflection is making me think that it wasn't about fulfillment. It wasn't about completion. It was about like present in this moment-ness. You know what I mean? Like that actually nothing has to be different in this exact moment. And yet I wasn't doing anything. Like, I think that's the cognitive dissonance for me. It's like, usually I experience that sense of fulfillment because I'm doing something or I've achieved something or I'm with someone because I'm such a social creature. And here I was literally just lying down by myself. And yet it felt so full.
4: So is one of the things that you want in your leisure to be alone? Because I'll tell you, I think that the last moment I felt really relaxed and joyful I was on the couch of our dear friend Lauren and her Mm. dog's head was in my lap. And because the dog's head was in my lap, it was agreed that I couldn't help with anything. And (laughs) they were like, look, you drove three hours to be with us. Let us serve you. And I was like, yes, I will. And usually there's a voice in my head. That's like, I have to make myself useful. I can't sit and be served by friends. I have to be clearing plates or doing dishes or helping chop. Yeah. And like, this dog's head made me feel like I mm. can't, and I just like got to pet something soft and drink a cocktail. So I'm just wondering if you would find that fulfilling enough or not?
3: Not really. Oh, I love this, Vanessa. This is so cool because what it's about is receiving. It's it's not about being alone or with other people, but it was like you in that story and me in Cuba. Like I was receiving the moment. I was, I was just grateful. Oh, I find myself quite teary. Like I could just, I could just accept it without having to contribute. And I'd, I obviously not going to live my whole life like that all the time. Cause I do need to contribute in other ways, but like the moments where I don't, let me just receive it. The receiving is also a gift. I'm suddenly making sense of that in my mind. Oh.
4: Okay. So it sounds like we got to this place of like leisure is about receiving, at least Mm, in part. mm. And CJ is not receiving, right? Like CJ is like, I'm pushing myself on the treadmill and I am stretching my whole life. Like there's nothing in this that CJ is receiving. She does not wake up at four 30 in the morning to go look at the sunrise. Like that is not what she's going to do with her five to six me hour. Is there anything else you want to say about the West wing before we move on in this, this great CJ Craig moment?
3: I guess it's not about this moment, but the thing I'm thinking about is how I've had these experiences, you know, whether it was like a high school theater production or or like singing in a choir. I went on tour for three months in my 20s or like being part of a team that made something exciting happen. Like, you know, our first live show together, uh, the fact that 600 something people showed up in DC to see one of our live shows, like there have been these moments and only much later do I really remember like, Holy moly, that was a lot of people or like that was a really beautiful experience to like sing together for three months. That will probably never happen again in my life. And so I, I want to receive more in the moment. I I don't want to have to wait. I don't want to have to think back and be like, wow, that was special. Like what it's helping me see is like, it's not actually about lying on the beach. The beach was just a way that got me to the receiving. It was the receiving that mattered. I don't have to book a plane ticket.
4: Yeah. And like maybe you also want to book a plane ticket and that's fine, right? I mean, yes. <laughs> there are situations where it's easier and more difficult to receive, right? Yeah. And there are situations yeah. where you shouldn't, where you should be the one serving. That's right. So it's okay to set yourself up for like success in receiving. But yeah, I think that those moments can be more frequent.
3: Yeah.
0: That's greenlight.com slash ACAST.
4: So Casper, what is the second text that you brought us?
3: So the second text I'm bringing you is a rather obscure German philosophy essay called Leisure as the Basis of Culture. And it was recommended to me by Jenny O'Dell, who's got a wonderful book called How to Do Nothing that I definitely recommend to everyone. But it's by this German guy called Josef Pieper. He was a an academic, a, a philosopher, a monk, and it's a wonderfully written essay. First of all, it's very short, so highly recommend that as well. But he writes very clearly about the way in which leisure is not just the absence of work, but it's an activity in itself. He talks about how the philosophical tradition in the West has turned kind of being good into something that isn't the resting state of human beings, but that like virtues take work to develop, that it, it being good takes... Effort. And so that we can't trust, therefore, our natural state, that somehow just being yourself or just being at ease or just receiving, like we've talked about, is somehow insufficient. And what I really love about why this matters to him as a philosopher and as a religious person is that leisure is not just like something that's enjoyable, but it's the basis of culture. As he said, it's the source of imagination and creativity that something new happens in us creatively when we're really experiencing leisure. Like It's like we can imagine a different world because we're having leisure. So the quote I'm taking from that lovely essay is this, and it's a, it's a little complex, so I'll explain it afterwards, but it's this. At the height of the Middle Ages, it was held that sloth was restlessness, leisurelessness, the incapacity to enjoy leisure, that they were all closely connected. Sloth was held to be the source of restlessness and the ultimate cause of work for work's sake. So what he's saying is that we now misunderstand what that word sloth is about, right? I think of the first word to be associated with sloth is lazy you're not putting in effort, you're bad, <laughs> you know, should work harder, all that stuff. And he's like, no, sloth is the absence of leisure. And therefore you get caught in this trap of just doing more work for work's sake. This is me checking emails at 11.09 PM, even though no one has emailed me because I'm like freaking addicted to this damned phone. Cause I think I'm going to get some sort of burst of productivity by replying to someone's scheduling email. Like, I I just felt so attacked by (laughs) by this quote. So I I basically thought like, oh, God, like I am slothful in that sense that I am not experiencing leisure. And that's why I keep falling into this work for work's sake trap. That was a lot.
4: No, I love it. So it's like it's lazy to just work all the time. What we're afraid of is our brains. Right. I'm like, but what if I'm not listening to something? I'm going to be stuck with my thoughts thoughts and that is horrifying and so scary and so it's actually so scary to actually do leisure
3: and and this is where it ties back for me to Sabrina's voicemail about specifically being in the pandemic throughout this year my Sabbath time hasn't felt the same like I remember pre-pandemic even the rest was different in the sense that I would sometimes just like sit on the couch and look out of the window and be bored. And I think the rituals that I created pre pandemic around my Sabbath, maybe haven't been as effective in this context. Like when I put a book aside and I'm just staring at the ceiling, because like it can happen then too, you know, just like that metaphorical waves lapping my feet as I, Not even doze, but just like happily stare into nothing.
4: (laughs) I mean, Casper, I love what you said about gratitude, right? That like gratitude and receiving can be a form of leisure. I'm also wondering if, if you said thank you and received it, would that address this like enough question?
3: Mm. I feel like I'm in my mid 30s and at this point I'm like, The fights I have with myself are probably the fights I'm going to have with myself forever. So I I really don't want to say like it's going to solve it. You know, like that that voice is going to go away or that that instinct is going to rest.
4: Oh, I completely disagree with you.
3: Really? I just feel like I'm going to have these fights with myself forever.
4: Maybe, but maybe not. We grow and change and evolve so much. You're only what? You're 34? Yeah. Okay. So you're going to be 84 one day right? Like you are going to live longer than you've already been alive. That is complete nonsense. As someone I'm 38, I'm only four years older than you. The things that preoccupied me when I was 30 do not preoccupy me now. They don't. As someone who lives with a 50 year old and and I've only known him for five years, but like he is a different person than he was five years ago. And I think we, we tell ourselves that we are stagnant at our peril,
2: Ooh,
3: okay. I feel energized that this could change. That's exciting. I mean, like, and it might
4: not, right? So self-acceptance is key. I am never going to stop spilling on myself. Like, that is something that I know. Like, I'm a clumsy person. I've been a clumsy person my whole life. I am never not going to be a clumsy person. And I think self-acceptance- But it could change. Is important. No, right? Like, I think there's certain things that aren't going to change. And I think that that is important, Right. But our internal selves, like I've seen Mm. you grow and change. I've known you for what, eight Mm. years? Mm -hmm. You've become kinder and more self-reflective and more accepting. And I've seen you learn those lessons sometimes really the hard way, like in terms Mm. of someone you love being in pain or being disappointed by people. And sorry, it can be real for you if you want. Yes, these are the problems you're going to have forever. But like.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. I do love that because I, I think when you're with someone who is able to receive, it changes you. And I feel like, you know, people talk about the Dalai Lama as someone who laughs so much. And I think of Desmond Tutu talking about the fact that like. He makes sure that every day he cries and that he laughs like that, that that there's something about wise people who have the ability to be present because that's what I hear when I hear someone saying they're laughing and crying every day. It's like they're fully present with the pain and the joy of life and life is made of joy and suffering. That is just what it is. And so the the quality of what my life's experience will be, let alone the impact on the world is going to be about my ability to, to receive. I, I'm really I'm compelled by that. That feels scarily important now.
4: Okay, so you are on board, right? Like you're like, I need to be present. I yes. need to believe I'm enough, and I can stare out <laughs> the yes. window and look at birds, and I can have moments of leisure. And even if I didn't take a picture, it happened and all that. (laughs) But like, no big deal. That's just what people spend their whole lives looking for. Like, what is one moment that you are going to try to curate that for yourself?
3: Hmm. Okay, I have one small one and one big one. The small one is that um, often Sean will cook for me, or we went over to friends who live in the same building this week, and um, our neighbors had really gone to a huge effort to cook beautifully. And like, I do the thing of making sure that the person who's cooked really knows that I am appreciating them. I talk about the deliciousness and specificity of the food. And, you know, I really make sure someone else feels appreciated, but I, I don't necessarily pay that same attention to like me appreciating it. And that feels like a really good thing that I can practice regularly is like, notice the pomegranate burst of Taste right like feel the texture of the aubergine just receive it like wow this curry sauce is delicious and not too spicy for my white taste buds <laughs> what a perfect sauce mm-hmm. so that's a small thing
4: and that's so fun because you have the instinct to say it so it's just like right after you say it be like now let me feel mean it, it. <laughs> <laughs> like that's great it's so oh, casper i love it You are really good at that, by the way. You're like, oh, my God, these eggs, Vanessa, are they extra whipped? Like they're scrambled. They're just scrambled eggs. No, you did something to them.
3: But the big thing is, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, I guess I'm saying this out loud for myself, is like, I kind of want to go on some sort of pilgrimage and the camino is is the kind of obvious thing in my imaginative space right this ancient monastic path that traditionally leads from from your front door wherever you live in europe to santiago de compostela in, in northern spain and i i just feel like yes i can practice this in small moments but it's also small moments have to be encased in in big things now and then and i haven't i haven't had that kind of experience in a, in a long time and i want to to practice receiving in an extended walk where I avoid blisters, hopefully.
4: Oh my God. I was just thinking about, I was thinking about this when you were describing Cuba, that I haven't had a proper vacation in a long time, but that Julia and I hiked the Wicklow way. And a moment of actual leisure for me was putting my boots on, on like day four when the blisters were at their worst. And it was the only thing on my mind, the Only thing on my mind was putting boots on. Yeah. And like it took till day four of walking until that was true. But like all I was thinking about was putting on boots and walking. And so it like really doesn't need to be this like beach thing. No. It's about moving your brain to this other space.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: This is very exciting. I can't wait for you to like start noticing the mouth feel of like Noki, mm-hmm. and i can't wait for uh, you to do a big pilgrimage
3: i'm so excited i'm literally gonna look up flights <laughs> for 2020 whatever it is 2027, 2027. Yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> i love you so much vanessa thank you for this
4: i love you and i just yeah thank you for bringing this question
3: And thanks to CJ Craig and Joseph Pieper. (laughs) And I guess Aaron Sorkin, I'll give him a little credit too.
4: Meh, 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 (laughs) Casper, we also want to thank Sarah in Denver, Colorado for this week's maxim. Sarah wrote, my favorite maxim that I tell myself often is attributed to St. Augustine. It is simply solvitor ambulando. In English, it is solved by walking. I find that a good walk is often the best starting point to solve a problem. Amen, Sarah.
3: Next week, we're going to talk about how to break up with friends. So I'm excited to learn from you on that one, Vanessa. And then the following week, I want to ask what happens when we die? And I really want to hear from you. Maybe you were with someone when they passed away. Maybe this is something you've thought a lot about theologically or philosophically. I just really want to hear what you think happens to us when we die. So please record a voicemail and email it to us at realquestion at notsorryproductions.com.
4: You've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to the support of our patrons. And we are so, so grateful for you. You've been coming out in droves, and we are just incredibly grateful that we can keep making the show.
3: More than 600 of you are already supporting the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much.
4: You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and at RealQuestionPod and Twitter at RealQPod.
3: We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Boll, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks to Sabrina for your voicemail, Julia Agi, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Purcell, and of course, all of our fabulous patrons. We'll see you next week.
1: Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades. But it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. So before you update your closet this summer, take a look at American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for summers to come. American Giant is made in the USA. That ensures that they can deliver items of exceptional quality. But it also creates jobs across the country. You're not just buying clothes that last. You're helping create a lasting change in the communities where they're made and a connection to the seamsters, cutters, and factory workers who make them. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com.
5: Promo code LT23. Hello, Vanessa's beautiful listeners. This is Margaret H. Willison, Not Sorry's resident Swiftologist. And I'm dropping into your feed to remind you that Not Sorry has officially entered our Taylor Swift era. That's right. Vanessa and I will be leading a trip to Cape Cod, November 8th to 11th, where we're going to dig deep into Taylor Swift's albums, Folklore and Evermore. And registration is open now. Everybody at this pilgrimage is going to get their own vintage restored Airstream trailer. It's been turned into a little hotel suite. And it's this perfect balance of luxury while also being totally surrounded by nature. And I happen to think it's going to be an ideal environment for looking at these two albums through the theme of storytelling. We're going to look at questions like, what does thinking of my life as a story allow me to see in a new way? Do I have stories or memories that might be easier to share through a fictional framework? And what fables do I wish existed to guide me right now? This pilgrimage is for people who love reading music lyrics like poetry, for people who adore Taylor Swift and want a chance to celebrate her art, and for people who just want an opportunity to catch their breaths and then center themselves in community in the middle of beautiful woodlands. If that sounds like you, you want to head to readingandwalkingwith.com to clean one of our remaining spots today. We can't wait to see you there.